Before I leave you to enjoy the episode, I'm going to ask you for a very small favor. Please tell your friends about the show and help me help as many men as possible with their mental health. Now, I know they might not be able to speak up or ask for help, but maybe, just maybe, by listening to these remarkable stories, something will resonate with them. I truly appreciate your support on this, and thank you for listening. a new episode of Don't Be a Man About It, and my today's guest is Amanda Brown, the executive director of Best Tuition and an executive coach. Before we go deeper, Amanda, hi. Hi, uh, Rahaf, how are you? Um, firstly, I've got to say to everyone and to yourself, Happy New Year. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I think everyone's been waiting for 2020 to, to conclude so we could start afresh, but <laughs> Um, it, it isn't all that it's not all plain sailing, but you know, we're here and we've got to look positively, think positively to make things happen the, the way we want them to. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So, would you like to add anything about a very brief background on who you are? Who do you serve? Right. Okay. So, I'm, as Ray House kindly put, I'm an executive coach and the executive director of Best Tuition Limited, uh, which has been going now for about uh, three, four years. And mm -hmm. um, we cater for children, various backgrounds, children from the looked after care system, children who have uh, mental health issues, children who've got behavioral problems, children who are disengaged from education and children who are in a transitional period, maybe they've moved from one location to another and they just need that support. Um, and also children who just need an added a uh, bit of a, a push. But um, and I'm also a transformational uh, coach. So I look at people, see where, where they're at right now and look at the things that they would like to explore and help them in that process of transforming themselves to be the best version of themselves. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm going to go deeper on that, but... I have to ask you the question. How is your heart doing today? My heart? Wow, okay. Um, my heart is, right now my heart is full of joy um, because mm -hmm. I'm speaking to someone who, who completely understands and you've got a vested interest in, in something that's quite dear to my heart because I think that um, men are overlooked so often, okay? And men are, I suppose, many times because we're men, we're, we're, we're never allowed to be vulnerable. It's not, you never put the two together, men and strength, men and, you know, being forward thinking, you know, doing crazy things, adventurous things, but men and vulnerability are so far apart. And I think that, um, yeah, just focused on how vulnerable men are in, in so many different um, ways, actually. So the, the time when they've got to be strong, they're also vulnerable. The time when they've got to be a father, but they're also vulnerable. The time when they've got to be a strong parent or a leader, but that vulnerability always shows up. And what happens is often we, we stifle it. And what, what you do, Rahaf, is allow men to connect with that sort of sensitive, 
vulnerable side of themselves that that's really critical to, to growth. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Yes, um, I, I do believe that I not I do believe I do hope that one day we would reach a point where we start speaking the language of humanity instead of genders. But until yeah. that day comes, people or our society and our community, our children, everyone needs to understand that women and men are equal when it comes to mental yeah. health issues, when it comes to yeah. emotions, when it comes to our thoughts patterns. Each one of us has the right to cry, to express, and to just release our emotions. Uh, so thank you, thank you for that. Um, I appreciate you know, that you highlighted this. Uh, yes, please go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 some years ago, I remember speaking to a, a mentor of mine. Some it's got to be about ten years ago, and he said, um, "You know, the strength of a of a true man when he's brought to tears and he allows himself oh. to actually cry, um, because that takes strength and courage." Um, so I, you know, I, I identify with that. And I think that's, yeah, the idea of um, men and w women being equal, absolutely. We do different things, but you know, I couldn't survive without a woman and I'm sure a woman couldn't survive without me or a man. So we, we need each other. It's, it's so important, so important. So yeah, we just need to value each other and the, the qualities that, that we, we each bring, you know, mm -hmm. so. Amen to that. So, Amanda, um, I want to thank you again for being open and to accept to share your story on Don't Be a Man yeah. About It. Um, I know that you have been through a lot of obstacles and I know that you have been, not you have been, you have struggled with dealing with diversity, dealing with mental health issues, dealing with the pressures that were on you from everything and everyone around you. And yeah. Needless to say that thanks to those struggles, it brought you to be the man, the remarkable man that you are today. But take us back, what's your story and how, how much did it affect Amanda today? Right, okay, well, look, you know what, you're, you're, the way you describe me is, is absolutely brilliant. Honestly, I really appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you so much. Um, Just but I wasn't always, <laughs> sorry? Just stating facts. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I wasn't always uh, an executive director or executive coach. Um, I started my my journey as a as a policeman. And I, I was in the police for about, I think, in total nine years or eight and a half years. Um, and I remember starting the police. And it was it was basically the career of my my dream. I really always wanted to be a policeman. And I remember starting and realizing that it wasn't quite what I thought it was because there were real challenges. So I saw, um, I saw racism. I saw discrimination between, you know, the, 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 the genders. So uh, I saw people who um, were afraid to sort of identify with who they felt they were, you know, and their, 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 their choices of their partners. So lots of different things I experienced, but the biggest impact for me was um, when I uh, was leaving work, it was Friday the 13th of March, 1998. And this 
it's like seared of my brain. Uh, it, it, it was what it, Friday the Thirteenth. Does that mean anything to you, Rahaf? I don't know if it does. Um, Friday the Thirteenth. Friday. The I know that it should be a superstitious number. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not really superstitious, but you know, it was Friday the Thirteenth, and I've been numbers. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is normally if it's Friday the 13th, lots of people say, well, don't don't leave your house, your house, just stay at home. Um, well, I was at work and I, I think I was doing a, a 10 till 2 shift. I remember my colleague um, at the end of the shift, he said to me, look, do you know what? All we need to do now is get home because everything has gone so smoothly. There were no issues, no problems at all. It was a really nice day. And I said, well, yeah, all we've got to do is get home. Uh, we, I, I got on my motorbike and um, about two minutes outside of the station, um, I was hit by a car which was driving the wrong way down a one-way street. Um, it hit me head on, it catapulted me 50 feet height and distance. On impact, it broke my left wrist. And then when I landed, I uh, broke my left wrist in the same place. Again, it was a fracture dislocation and then also damaged my back. Um, uh, had concussion, damaged my pelvis, cracked both my knees, cracked the bone in my foot. So multiple injuries. And I'd, I'd worked on traffic, so I knew if I saw anyone with the injuries and the accident that I'd sort of experienced that, Usually they wouldn't they wouldn't survive, but I was a bit of a tough cookie and I, I did survive. Um, Albeit on the way to the hospital, I I kind of slipped away for a few seconds, and they managed to revive me. And um, I had twelve operations over a period of mm. say four years. Um, I had I think five operations on my left wrist, one on each knee, um, two on my back. Um, just lots of different operations which helped me to sort of get me back to where I need to be. But for the next eight years, I had to get my head around the fact that I was no longer this very physical, uh, physically strong man. I couldn't just get up and do all the things I wanted to. In fact, I was registered disabled for eight years. Um, my memory had gone. So I would um, get up, I, I would decide I want to get, say, for example, a pair of socks. So I'd get up from my living room, get to the top of the stairs, and I wouldn't know why, why I was there. So I'd be confused. I'd probably get myself back downstairs. So my wife decided that any time I decided I wanted to get something, she would write me a note. And the note would tell me exactly what I was, I was going to do. So I'd get to the top of the stairs. Why am I here? Look at my hand. Ah, pair of socks. And I'd get my pair of socks. Um, that has changed my life because I didn't, I, I took those things for granted. I took my health for granted. I took my uh, mental health for granted. I took my memory for granted. All the things I, I did and had, I didn't really value them that much because I, I, I could do anything. I was so strong and fit. But this completely changed my life. And so for eight years, I battled with the, the new version of myself. And, and um, 
that caused me to fall into a bit of a depression because um, I couldn't just go anywhere. I couldn't um, have conversations the way I wanted to. Um, I couldn't be the person I wanted to be. So I literally had to, I don't know, reinvent myself and, and, and transform. And so that, that transformation uh, happened through me going back to university and retraining. And uh, I got myself an art degree. Uh, didn't know what I was going to do with my art degree. So, you know, painters don't really make a lot of money whilst they're alive. So I thought, well, that's not really a good idea. Um, and then I got, fell into the world of uh, teaching. And I think that's where my life really, really began. Um, because then I fell in love with, um, with teaching young people. I remember when I, I, I said to a friend of mine, um, I'm going to go into teaching. And uh, initially, my idea was I want to teach the little ones, the primary school children, because, you know, they're, they're so lovely and they're, they're fine and they listen to you and they're so playful. And uh, I remember a friend of mine, she said to me, well, she was a secondary school teacher. She said, no, 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 no. Teach in a secondary school. They're adorable. They're like angels. They're so gorgeous. I thought teenagers. Teaching teenagers, my worst nightmare. Um, but, you know, I listened to her advice and I got myself a job in a secondary school. And surprisingly, I fell in love with, with teenagers. They were brilliant. They would listen to anything I told them. They were like sponges and they were so desperate to learn so desperate to um, identify who they really were and to be accepted. And um, what was nice about it, lots of the, the, the children I taught would always, especially the, the, the difficult, the challenging ones, they'd want to be in my lessons because they felt that they were listened to, they were heard, they were understood. And they could be themselves because I was fairly, um, I suppose, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so they they like that and you know i i fell in love with teaching fell in love with just helping people to be themselves and, and particularly that going through that transformational period that i went through it really helped me to see children young people who were stuck who were disadvantaged for various reasons and to kind of help them to get over that to get through that through my personal journey so that's kind of that's the story so far um so do you want me to carry on please do yes of course um i just want to say thank you for opening up and sharing your story um openly i can only imagine how like when you said you 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 needed a note to just remember what you were about to do and looking at you right now and having this conversation with you and how much you're, you are leaving an impact with kids and teenagers, you're leaving a legacy. That's yeah. the transformation that you, you cannot basically show it. You have to feel it. And, and yeah, of course. so um, what I'm, the, the thing that is really coming into my mind is that what kind of thoughts were crossing your mind back then that gave you the power to be who you are today? Because I know that someone could hit rock bottom. What was rock bottom 
Right, wow. That's game right. transformation. You know, um, I remember um, my, my youngest son at the time, um, when I had my accident, he was, uh, I think he was about two years old. And, no, in fact, get, let me get that right. I think he was 18 months old, 18 months old. And um, I couldn't pick him up anymore. He was too heavy for me to, to, to hold and to carry. Um, I used to wrestle with my older son. He was like two years older than my youngest. And um, I couldn't do that anymore. So that really, um, that really hit me hard because these two boys who were really, really vibrant, really energetic, in a sense, they were seeing their father, but they'd lost me. Because there's so many things I did with them that um, I couldn't do anymore. Um, just, just it, it really did change my life. And I'd got to a point where I don't think I ever thought of um, not wanting to be alive anymore. That I don't think I got to that point. But I certainly didn't see my value. Wow. You know, I, I, I lost um my value because my value was um was always in my strength my physical strength my my ability to 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 overcome anything and for for a number of years that strength was almost taken away from me i didn't have it and so i had to um think about okay well what can i do to to really spend quality time with my boys. And initially, um, I'm, I'm gonna say something you're not really gonna agree with or, or like, but uh, PlayStation was my part, my partly my savior. <laughs> I love PlayStation. Just tell me when and we got it. <laughs> nice choice. Yeah, play, <laughs> the PlayStation was amazing. I became you know, a, one of the, the best PlayStation players ever. I mean, people literally came to see me to play. Um, it was, uh, was it uh, Gran Turismo, which was a, a driving game or rally driving games, any sort of driving games, or there was another game called Tekken. They they really helped me. So it was a Tekken was a fighting game. So I would play these games with my boys, and we we so we spent quality time. I couldn't physically fight with them, or wrestle them anymore. But we could fight on the PlayStation. I couldn't drive for a number of years, but I could show them how to drive on the PlayStation. We just had hours, and and I I mastered all of the games i was so good and uh, you know people would get their, their 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 sons to come and uh, try and challenge me because their sons were the best and and i'd i'd beat them i was i was a legend again um and that and that that really helped me but the other thing that uh, that really helped me was when i when i started teaching in my secondary school um strangely enough i was put on the top floor of a three-story building so imagine i'm 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 physically disabled and i've got to do that journey every day 
probably 15, 20 times a day up and down the stairs because the toilets, the toilets were on the ground floor. So you, I, there, was, there was no alternative. I had to keep going up and down the stairs and, and then I had duties to do as well. So that really helped with my rehabilitation. Also, um, children are, and this is why I love um, teenagers. Teenagers, they don't really, they're not the most caring people. Not really. They say what they think. Some a thought pops into their head, and they'll say it because, you know, it at that time they re, their main concern is themselves. They're not really thinking about. Sorry. Can I? Can I? Can I? Just take it, interfere a little bit here. Yeah, certainly. It's so funny what you just said. So, I believe it's the opposite. I believe that the teenagers are the most caring age group. Before, right. before someone hits the maturity or the growth, mindset growth between being kids or I think, and I believe that they are the most caring. It's just that right. they are not given the right space to express their care in the right or healthy way. They are always okay. being left in a corner, go do your homework, go watch out on your sister or brother, not now, I'm busy, don't do this, don't do that. And then the teenager, naturally, we're just gonna go back to his cocoon and express his frustration from not being able to express his care or their care with um, rebellious attitudes. Yeah, I, I, I do, right, I, I will agree with what you're saying. Um, and I think what you're saying is the reason why they are appear to be uncaring is the, the the challenges and circumstances that they find themselves in so I'll, I'll agree with that what 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 you're presented with and I you know I worked in a secondary school for 10 years with mm. with teenagers between the ages of 11 to 18 years and what I was faced with were um, in fact, I was ahead of year, my, my year group had 240 um, teenagers, all all 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. Um, and their biggest concern was, was th themselves, their self-image, their work, um, just their friendship groups. They're, they're quite, at that age, they're quite insular. It, it, it is very much about me. And I, I know that prior to that, when... When um, you, you get, say, a newborn uh, baby, between a newborn and the age of, of say, four or five, it's self-discovery. So it, they're very insular. And then they do come out of that period where they start to make friendship groups. And at that period, they're not so much bothered about themselves. It's, it's about their friends and the importance of being included, being um, thought of, being welcomed, being loved, being liked being understood but the teenage years are really interesting okay. because okay. Yeah. they are trying they are trying to be heard they are trying to be understood mm -hmm. and they are trying to care but what you get is is not what they so what so i hear what you're saying they want to be really caring yeah. so i agree with that but what you actually see is is not so much caring and only because i've 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 sat with hundreds of young people 
saying, look, you've got to care about each other a little bit more, <laughs> or you need to care about your mother, or you need to care about your, your room, or you need to care about your work, and, and, and getting them to think differently. And I, you know, I still work with a lot of teenagers who are in that, that stage. So I, I do agree that they're wanting to be mm. um, the caring individual, but there are so many pressures that cause them to be cocooned in what we experience as um, uncaring, almost selfish individuals. But if you nurture that, and I've, I've worked with um, young people who have been extremely aggressive, and yet when I've worked with them, um, all they wanted were, was for someone to listen to them, yeah. someone not to criticise or judge them. And suddenly you see, and I'm talking about really um, tough young men, you know, 16-year-old young man who had been excluded from every school he attended and assaulted more teachers than I could count. <laughs> but with me and my team, uh, he was able to be himself. And, and one of the first things he said to me is, look, what's written on paper about me isn't me that's what people see but that's not really me and so yeah I think a lot of teenagers are, are fighting to be seen to be heard and that that's really really important it is very important yes um so Amando given that you are in that area working with teenagers I I was a teenager before but I wouldn't really. So was I, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't really tell what was the problem because I could I can't see it when I used to be back then. But my yeah. question would be: this kind of behavior with teenagers, with, which is being aggressive, uh, not not listening, not having a proper or mature conversation, um, yeah. less empathetic than usual. These kind of behaviors. Do you think the gap is because of their parents? or the school, the, the, the full and open access more than fair or more than accepted to the internet, to TikToks, to Twitter, um, all of these things. What is the gap and or what is the pressure that is affecting the teenagers' mental health? Because at the, at the end of the day, we hear a lot of stories about teenagers either committing suicide or attempting to commit suicide, to run away from the house, to go for drugs or alcohol. Um, so what is it really? Who's to blame? Let's, let's put that question. Um, well, I, I think uh, that there are so many different um, pressures on, on, on teenagers. If you think about, so a, a teenager, I remember, you know, I, I can remember when I was a teenager, just about, <laughs> I had, you know, I, I had so many pressures on me. Uh, I, I really wanted, I was desperate, desperate to be grown up, really was. Um, I, I would do everything I could to, to demonstrate that I was a grown up. So teenagers struggling with, they're in that they're in a really strange um, sort of yeah because position. they, they want to yeah. know what their identity is. Who are they? Yeah, yeah. So they want they want to be grown ups, but they also want to be loved and nurtured. Okay, 
So you've got those two pools. And then you've got the ones who, um, the pressure of education. Mm. They want to be the best and they want to achieve. But they, they also to, don't want... That's the thing. Do they want to be the best in their yeah. education or they are forced to be? Not they, everyone they, wants know, to be good at, in school. No, no, no. Some people just no. want to do something else. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think, I th yeah, you're right. I think there are some, some children who are pressured and, and, and feel that pressure. But a lot of the young people that I work with, and, and, and in fact, because I work with children who are sort of directed to me. So they, they don't come to me because they want to come to me. Yeah. Um, they come to me because someone's told them, well, you need to turn up to spend some time with Amanda because he's going to help you. And initially, you know, I will get uh, a lot of opposition. They won't want to be with me until, you know, we spend a little bit of time and, and they realise, well, actually, this is for me. And, and they realise, actually, there are, in order to get to where they want to be, there are certain things they've got to learn how to do. And mm -hmm. so when they realize they have that realization, then then it becomes something that they want to. They, they then begin to own that desire to be the best version of themselves. Um, but in school, schools are really tough place to yeah. exist <laughs> because, you know, most schools on average have between and, and if we just talk about the teenage school years the the, the smallest um secondary school that i'm aware of um had a has about 750 i'm talking about mainstream school 750 students and the larger schools will have something like 2000 1800 to 2000 students all competing for the same goal which is to get um good GCSEs yeah now that sort of pressure is huge along with that comes the pressure of failing not only themselves but their teachers because their teachers believe in them not only failing themselves and their teachers but their peers because if if my peer um, achieves this grade they'll go to this uh, college or university if I don't go get that well I won't be able to go to the same place as my my peer my friend and so they're worried about losing that friendship and then there's a there's the pressure from parents because parents just want their children to do well and the idea is that when you have children ideally you want your children to do better than you because you know you've gone through your own struggles but you want them to do better so the the pressures kind of um it, it's meant with the right intention but, but sometimes sometimes it, it comes out in the wrong way and I, you know, I remember my, my my sorry my 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 I, I'll let you make your point in a second if that's okay my my youngest son um was always a real bright spark okay real really intelligent I admired him because he was so intelligent and then he got to a point where he he, he got through um, school, did really well at school, went through college, got really good grades at college. And then he just, he applied to do a course at university and he was about to start his university degree and said, Dad, I don't want to do the degree. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I just want to work with you. I said, okay, that's fine. You can work with me. And then the following year he applied to 
a different university to do a different course. And just before the degree, this course was due to start, he said, Dad, <laughs> I don't want to do this course. It's not for me. And we did that. He did that three times. And then finally, I, he, he got a course that he felt was really him. Yeah. And so that, that process is really difficult. And what I did was stood back uh, and allowed him to be um, whatever he wants to be. And he's doing a course that, you know, he, he, he'll be qualified as a social worker. He loves working with children and just people. He loves work. In, in fact, at one point, he, he thought about becoming a teacher um, because he just wants to work with people. He loves people. Um, and so I, I think it's really important for parents to allow their children to explore the things that are, they really, really enjoy. And it, and it may be, um, I remember when I told my father that I wanted to be an artist, um, his response was, well, you won't ever make any money while you're alive. And I, it, it, it kind of squashed. Right <laughs> Sorry? That's a limiting belief right there. Exactly. But it, but it, but it, um, it affected me. And so I, mm -hmm. I didn't really have a lot of value for my, my ability as an artist. Um, but I, I, I use my art in everything I do now, mm -hmm. it, you know, so it, there's just not one, one dimension for a skill set that you may have. So whatever they, they enjoy, they should be allowed to do. And I, I, I found that um, the more I enjoy something, the better I am at it. And, and the more I enjoy it, the better I am, the better experience everyone around me has. Mm -hmm. So really important when a young person says this is what i enjoy help them to embrace it let them you know so what would be the like how could parents be better in parenting listen yeah listen yeah listen um and one one of the, one of the skills um that i advocate as, as a coach is is listening and mm -hmm. i think just in life in general, um, I'm, I'm a good talker. I can talk for I can talk forever. Um, and one of the the, the skill, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will, we 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 both talk a lot. I've, I've spotted that. What uh, one of the, the skills that I've had to learn is how to listen. And and I think if children are listened to, um, surprisingly they grow because they're allowed to be heard. And, 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 and most, I mean, I, I wrote an article and it was um, relating to uh, Edvard Monk's The Scream. And at the time, it was about the hidden scream that we had. And, and lots of individuals, not just teenagers, men or women, but lots of individuals have this inner scream where they just need to be heard. And in fact, if I listen to you, I don't, if I'm listening to you, you don't need to scream. Currently, I, the other thing that I forgot to mention that um, I'm also a therapeutic foster carer. So children who, are, who have lots of difficulties will be placed with me and my wife's the main carer. Um, and um, we currently have a little five-year-old who will shout she's only small 
but she's the, the, the loudest in the household. She's, only, she's tiny, but she's so loud. And nine times out of ten, I will say to her, look, we are listening to you. We can hear you. All you've got to do is just talk and we'll listen. And then she breathes. You reminded me of a video that went really viral. Uh, A parent who, a dad, uh, holding his daughter and she's crying. She's throwing tantrums and she's never, nonstop crying. And her crying is only getting stronger and more intense for hours. All he did was just sit with her in silence and hold the space. Yeah. After like a couple of hours, he remained calm and then she hugged him and slept. Yeah. I was what like, wow. Which brings us to the importance of mindfulness, being able to hold the space, being able to release your emotions without hurting yourself or hurting any, anyone around you and teaching it or passing it on to our kids. There's a school, I don't remember in which country, instead of grounding or punishing the children when they do something wrong in school, they get a one hour of meditation. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. I love that. Brilliant. Yeah. So what's your take on this? What do you think? Good grief. Yeah, you know, we, we actually, we've been teaching um, the little five-year-old we have to 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 meditate actually, to to have that space to to calm. She'll have a, a two-minute um, of a in in a zen zone we call it, and she's got a little princess sort of pyramid oh. tent, and she goes in there and will say just all you need is two minutes, yeah. just breathe, and then when you're ready, you come back down and she'll sit, and she might sit with her legs sort of crossed and or she might lie on a on her tummy and she'll just for two minutes or sometimes she just falls asleep because she's really tired Tired. (laughs) she's just really tired and then uh, she'll come down I'll say are you feeling better now yeah so what was that all about I don't know (laughs) yeah I and and, you know children um they have look I, I, you know, I, I'm a grown man and there are times when I'm anxious about things yeah. that I can't articulate. Children have so many different factors that are thrust upon them. Some that are from their surroundings, some because of expectations that are placed on them, some from their own fears, their own anxieties that they're completely... Um, I don't know, incapacitated by. Mm. And all they need is that space to think, to be calm, to be heard, to be understood, to be valued. And that will change their perspective. And guaranteed, lots of children would love to, to just sit in my in my classroom. So my break times just remembering back I didn't really have a break time because or lunch because students would be knocking on my door at the end of the lesson can we spend our break in your room sir brilliant why (laughs) well it's really calm 
Okay. I would get in. Basically, I'm just trying to 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 take the takeaways. Yeah. The space for your children. Yeah. Listen to them. Absolutely. And lead by example. Yeah. Yeah. They need to. They, do you know? Uh, and it's telling that sometimes, sometimes we've got to talk them through and say, "Look, I'm listening to you, so that you can be heard." So teach them the language. Tell Absolutely. them what's going on. Okay. Absolutely. That's that dialogue, dialogue is, is, is critical. And the minute you, you start talking to children, I, and I, I don't like shouting yeah. at children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember, um, again, going back to my teaching days, um, when uh, children would be lining up outside of my room. My, 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 my classes were always uh, immaculate because it was Mr. Brown's room and not because I was so strict, but I had standards. And I said, look, when you're waiting outside my room, I expect you to be quiet. I expect you to be respectful. Um, otherwise you will not be coming to my room. Right, and when you do come into my room, you know, there, I expect everything to be in order. Yeah. And then we can have a fun lesson. And then we're crazy for an hour. And at the end of the lesson, we put everything back, we get ourselves in order, and then you leave quietly to go on to your next lesson. Follow and, the and so, respect the boundaries, and let's have fun. Absolutely. And you know what? Learning, this is the final thing, learning has got to be fun. Yes. It must be. <laughs> it must be. I learn best when I'm having fun. Okay, I'm at my best when I'm enjoying myself. So even more so for children. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda. That's, that's, that, that was fun. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) anything else you'd like to add before we end the, the, the show? Well, the only thing I would say is, firstly, thank you so much for inviting me onto your, your show. It's been an absolute pleasure um wonderful speaking to you you've you've helped me to learn a few things and to to really think about teenagers even more um so you give me another perspective that i don't think i i I fully captured before our meeting today so honestly thank you so much i really appreciate your time thank you you, amando until next episode take care and don't forget to share and subscribe bye-bye